Hello, everybody, and welcome to Blackballed. Um, as usual, I got a lot of heat um, when I announced that this next guest is coming. Um, that happens all the time, no matter who I have on the show. Uh, for example, on Thursday, I have Noam Chomsky. I get the same heat, just from a different crowd. Um, but I believe in journalism. And I remember a time when all the toughest interviews were considered to be the best things in journalism. Um, and, and which is ironic because for this particular guest, I, I don't feel any heat. Um, I like this person as a person. I think that he gets mischaracterized a lot. Um, and I have a problem with some of the things that his supporters do. So it's, uh, it's going to be an honest and it's going to be a frank discussion. But um, without further ado, here is the leader of the People's Party of Canada, Mr. Maxime Bernier. Mr. Bernier, how are you, sir? Mr. Bernie, can, can you hear me? Everybody? I cannot yep. hear you, James. Oh, you can't. Okay. Um, how are we going to do this then? Uh, let's see. Hold on one second. Uh, uh, uh. I cannot hear you, James. I don't know. You can't hear me, eh? Can you do me a favor and maybe reboot? Oh, let me let me chat for you. Hold on one second. Sorry, guys. This is live. This is what happens with live podcasting. I've just asked Mr. Bernie to reboot. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. So while we may while we wait for Mr. Bernie, a couple of the things um, that I've been getting is, uh, you know, how can you give this person a platform? Um, are you going to ask him why he's racist? Or are you going to ask him basically all the vitriolic questions that I'm not really fond of? Um, I don't think it's necessary to take a stand uh, in one way or another when you interview somebody um, who is deemed controversial. Uh, Mr. Bernie is back, and let's see if he can hear me now. Can you hear me now, sir? Yes, it's okay. Thank you very much. No problem. I'm not sure if you heard any of the intro, but I was just trying to tell the audience that there is this weird thing that's happened to journalism over the years where if I interview someone like yourself, and I mentioned in the intro that I'm interviewing Noam Chomsky on Thursday, but I get the same kind of responses from people who aren't fans of you or Professor Chomsky. And those comments are like, how could you give this person a platform? You know, why are you um, spotlighting his bad ideas? And um, I always use the same example where when the United States was at war with Iraq in the early 2000s, say it was like 2004 or five, um, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the former Iranian president, went and by the way, I'm not comparing you to the former Iranian president, but um, but he went to speak at Columbia University and no one seemed to have a problem with that because it was just a guy talking. And I want to know, um, because you are you're a good example of that in this country. And I think the right do it to David Suzuki. Um, I think the right want to know why David Suzuki still has a platform while you're listening to his batshit ideas, all that kind of stuff. And and I just think that journalism is dead because of that line of thinking. And I just want to know what your thoughts were on that. You have a point there, and I agree with you. But at least when I'm traveling across the country and I'm doing interview with local newspaper or local radio station, and, you know, I can have a coverage for the national mainstream media. They don't want to cover us. Uh, and that's sad because we don't have any debates in our society right now. When you don't like an idea, instead of debating, they will cancel you. Uh, actually, the last general election, I did an interview in, uh, not an interview, sorry, uh, a press conference in Ottawa the Sunday, the day that Trudeau launched the election. And I said to my team, uh, let's have a press conference in Ottawa at the end of the day, because I understand that the was of Justin Trudeau, Aaron O'Toole, and all these other establishment leaders. So let's do that at the end of the day. We did that at the end of the day, and I was very surprised. We had about 10 mainstream Global Mail, a National Poll, TV, CBC, uh, at that press conference, and maybe uh, 15 more on the line. And uh, I delivered my speech 20 minutes in English, 20 minutes in French. And I used five minutes. 
And after that, I said to my team, good, I believe we'll have a very coverage. And you know what, James? No coverage the day after, nothing on TV, nothing on mainstream media. All these uh, journalists went back to their editorial board they don't like what I'm saying. So that happened to me all the time. And only at the end, the last week, the mainstream media decided to cover us because we were the story of the last election in Canada. From 1.6% of the vote in the election, all around 8%. And the political party that grew uh, or grew supporting that election. So they cover us a little bit at the end of the election. But now, no singing. It's very difficult for me to be in media. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's, uh, that's what is happening here in Canada, but also in other democratic countries. And uh, for me, we don't have real journalists anymore. Uh, for the, for example, the CBC or the Toronto Star, they are more leftist activists. And so it is difficult for the other point of view to be, uh, to be in, in these uh, media. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. There is a flip side, I think, to that. Um, it's funny how post-media for me now seems moderate because I used to just associate them with conservative politics. But, you know, then you have like the Ezra Levants of the world, which are activists. You know, they're just on the other side. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I kind of feel the same way about both. What I wanted to ask you, though, is you went from 1.9% to 4.6% in the popular vote. How much of an assist do you give the pandemic to those numbers increasing more than double? But first of all, 1.6 to 4.9, actually, you're right. COVID-19 hysteria was the big subject of the last general election. And we were, and we are still the last uh, and the only political party that is speaking about that and defending our freedoms. That was an important subject at the last general election. And where I did a lot of rallies. And also I was speaking about the inflation tax. I was speaking about the equity. I was speaking about, you know, uh, saying no to the Paris Accord. But the questions that I had after my rallies was mostly on the the loss of our freedoms. And uh, so I think that play a big part. But at the next general election, that would be another subject. Can I hope it won't be COVID-19 anymore, uh, because as you know, the next uh, general election will be maybe in two years or three years. I hope it will be uh, another subject that will be uh, in the news and the preoccupation of Canadians. And maybe it will be the economy at that time. We don't know. So COVID has really kind of been politicized. Um, I often tell people that I don't think that there are only two sides in this whole pandemic debate and all the debates within that main debate. I, I'm, you know, like I don't trust the government spokespeople. Um, I don't trust Big Pharma, but I believe in the science of vaccines. And I think that COVID had um, needed a, a rebrand last year where um, instead of stoking fear in us, they should have told us what we many of us thought we knew at the time, which was that this is a disease that largely impacts seniors, unhealthy people and obese people. Um, but also, and this is where you and I might not agree, is that maybe it was important to get vaccinated, even if you are a healthy person, so that you don't end up, you know, spreading the disease to vulnerable people. And when I saw your rallies last year, you and Randy Hillier and uh, to a lesser extent and to a more slapstick extent, Chris Skye, um, what I saw was people who believed in what they believed in, but also maybe people that weren't seeing the big picture, that maybe that their actions were leading to more deaths because they were healthy, but maybe the people that they were potentially infecting were not. Is that fair? It's a point of view that is out there, and I understand that you share that point of view, but I don't. When you take a vaccine, it's to protect yourself first. And all these other people you know, vaccine, I, I believe the majority, if not 80% of them, had the two shots. So so they are protected, and, and the, the, the vaccine is very good uh, for, for these people, and it's, it is good for everybody, actually. Uh, if you have COVID, 
and you had the two shots, uh, your chances of dying from COVID are very, very, very low. So, so for me, when I decided not to have the two shots, that uh, I look at the statistics. 58 years old in Canada, my chances of dying from COVID are 0.05 percent. So my survival rate is 99.95 percent, and I don't have any comorbidities. So I decided, you know, I won't take the vaccine. I'll, I'll take that risk. And I think the, the data and the, the statistics are on my side. And actually, I had COVID a little bit later, and I recovered from it. Uh, and I was right because I didn't die. I had COVID a couple of uh, weeks ago, and uh, for me, it was a big flu. I was two days in the bed, um, as it. But uh, now I have a very good uh, antibodies. And um, what I, my decision in the beginning not just one because I didn't die from was in the 99.95% survival rate. So I survived, survived from COVID-19. So now the media and everybody are saying you must take the, the vaccine to protect other people, to protect your friends, to protect your family. That's not true. That's the first time in the world that you are to protect other people. <laughs> we had the each flu season. We were taking that flu vaccine to protect uh, your, your friends. They won't have the vaccine. No, each time vacation or a vaccine is to protect science. So all that propaganda. But that's not true all, not true all the time. People... That's not true all the time, though. That, and the reason, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but that but that's not true all the time because I was the person who never took yeah. the flu shot. And then my sister-in-law um, developed breast cancer. And in order to celebrate Christmas with her, this was like seven years ago, um, her doctor told her, make sure the people that are around you during the holidays have their flu shot. So it's not like it's completely unheard of to get um, a, a shot or a vaccine in order to protect your loved ones. But but the doctor was saying at that time, be with people that are shot and not being sick. Uh, it's same thing for this Christ right now. People are saying, you know, don't uh, the media. The media is saying that right now. Don't celebrate Christmas with people that didn't have uh, their two shots. That's illogic. If you're if you're sick, you sick, you stay at home. If you're not sick, you must have the right to celebrate Christmas with your family. It's not the vaccine or not. It's everybody can have and and spread the vaccinated ones and unvaccinated ones. So that narrative about people not being able to be with their family if they didn't have two shots, it's only a way to put for more taking the vaccine uh, you know expect the freedom of choice the choice of every canadian and we don't just of unvaccinated people black people cannot go to a restaurant black people cannot go to uh, a, a teacher black it's discrimination it's segregation and, and i'm very sad that now in our society it's normal to have a discussion like that we have the discussion right now in Quebec if we will allow an unvaccinated person to go to the hospital without because you have the two shots. And we have that discussion, radio station and in the new world like it is normal. Why not having that discussion? Why not the fat people must pay for good if they want to go to the, if they hospital? How come we have a discussion? You know, we to go to, to, to uh, retain the choice of, of Canadians. Yeah, there, there seems to be, I mean, a lot of people don't see it, but I, I definitely see it, that there's a diversity of opinions um, on the, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know if you find the, the, the label disparaging, but the anti-vaxxer crowd or, or, or the unvaccinated, let's just say. And that diversity seems to go from vaccine hesitant to like Chris Sky. <laughs> like there's a cabal of international globalists who are trying to destroy us for some reason. Um, you seem to be somewhere in the middle. I agree that it's, that it is I just, it, it, it's, it's I just, at least. Yeah, go ahead. 
important to add, you know, the media are saying Bernie is an anti-vax. I'm not an anti-vax. I'm pro-choice. I decided not to take the two shots, but in my life, I. This is me praying that his internet connection comes back properly. <laughs> Maxine, if you can hear me, try bouncing in and out because your internet bar is pretty low. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, we'll, we'll see if he comes back. I think what he was going to say is that he doesn't want to be considered an anti-vaxxer. Um, and that there is, uh, there is a diversity of opinions. He's healthy. Um, you know, there, there is a, there is a point to be made, uh, regarding liberty. I, I don't like using that word anymore because it feels like a dirty word now. Um, and, and for the first time in our history that we've decided to discriminate against people who haven't been vaccinated. Um, we'll see if he's back. He's frozen in time. So. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get them back. Um, usually it's my internet that goes down cause I live in uh, the sticks, but we'll see if, uh, Mr. Bernie can make his way back. What I'm hoping to, to get from him is, um, is a more strident opinion on, on infecting other people. Um, just because we never did it in the past, I don't think that that necessarily means that we can't, you know, consider that in the present day or or even the future i i think that there is a, a lot of us out there who might have been there's a lot of vaccine hesitant people who might have been more likely to take uh the vaccine if 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 we were you know if, if we were told that we could help not kill grandma but we have maxine back sorry um you cut out there so go ahead what were you going to say you you didn't i did, wasn't trying to label you an anti-vaxxer by the way i i was saying that a lot of people use that term um, I use it sometimes, but we're really what I mean is the unvaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we must respect the choice of these people. And, and now, you know, they're marginalized and they're putting aside. They don't have civil society. Actually, I was in Florida, you know, vacation with my wife uh, in November and I enjoyed my freedom over there. And, you know, People uh, respect uh, people that decided and there's no mask over there. There's no vaccine passport. I was able to go to a restaurant. I was able to go to a teacher, Emma, and so and now I'm back in a kind of as you know, I travel across the country, and that's my job as a politician to build organization. And so that's a big challenge for me. I don't know what we'll need to, uh, I need to travel across the country and it's unfair. The civil rights movement in the 1960s, actually D was uh, B on the bus. That man had to be at the back of the bus. For me, I, I won't be able to be on the plane. I will. At the back, one not be to go in the plane, and so it, it's crazy like that. And I don't recognize my country anymore. Yeah, I mean, just because we didn't do it in the past, does that mean that we shouldn't do it now? Though, so you know, when when the polio vaccine was given out or the measles, 
wasn't there sort of a universal goal in mind where it's like, look, you're not just getting vaccinated for yourself, but for others as well. And people were more likely to do it. And we were able to largely eradicate those illnesses. Why is that such a step on Liberty now? Like what is it about, because they're not mandated in the sense that, you know, you have to get vaccinated because it's the law. And I get that there are there are some blur, blurred lines there, with, especially with the public sector, where, you know, you basically don't have your job if you don't get vaccinated. And I can see how that's a departure. But isn't it a departure because for some reason we have so many more people that are unwilling to get vaccinated? First, uh, we must say that uh, it's like older people. I'll give you an example. My dad is 87 years old and, uh, you know i encourage him to take the vaccine because he, uh, he is at risk 87 years old and uh, he is a diabetic so so he took the vaccine but uh, you know we that uh, covid 19 you know it will be there you won't have zero covid 19 it's impossible so it's like the flu every year but it's more than that but we can get rid of that COVID-19. We need to virus, and uh, that's not the case right now. Our politicians and government are, are putting policies in place that we won't have zero COVID-19 case. It happened. That's the, the reality of that so let's let's leave and let other people live with it. Take the two shots, and tomorrow it would be three shots. Uh, so and uh, you know, if if some people want to do it, do it. But for me, uh, I want you, you said you know we don't have to take the vaccine, but indirectly, yes, you know, if you like you said, uh, that's uh, mandatory. Uh, it's, it, you don't have and so that's why I think all that won't when it will go to the Supreme Court of Canada I all these draconian measures uh, won't be able to to, to be constitutional and illegal but uh, a case must go up to the Supreme Court and it can take years okay I, um let, let's switch gears for a second because I mean, COVID, we could talk about that for five hours probably. But um, I want to know, first of all, a quick question. Yeah. First of all, a quick question. Um, do you regret running in York Center? Because both times that you ran there, I thought it was a mistake. And I didn't understand why, why you did it. And and I'm just curious. Do you, it, I know hindsight's 2020, but do you think it was a mistake to run there? And if an election is held, which I think will happen by 2020, like in 2023 somewhere probably, as this minority government finds its way through this pandemic, um, are you going to run in the same riding? Yeah, okay. The 2019 election, I decided to uh, run into uh, my former riding in Bose, and I didn't win with 28% of the vote. Uh, after okay. that, I decided to run in a by-election in Toronto, like you said, in Toronto Centre. I decided to run there to uh, give us more visibility as a new political party being downtown Toronto. And um, at that time also, the new leader of the Green Party was running also in a by-election over there. And so uh, I was down in Toronto, uh, the mainstream media are there, and we were able to our visibility during that by-election. But I knew in, since when I started that election, that by-election, I knew and I said publicly that um, I may not uh, win that election, but at least I will do some debates. I will be out there and people will speak about our party. So that happened. And uh, the last general election in 20, in October, uh, I decided to go back in my riding in Bose and run again there. Uh, and you know, it, um, it was the best decision for me. I believe that I had to win in that riding, actually that I didn't win with about 20% of the vote election. So what I can tell you is a general election. I will run in another riding and I will look at the best riding for me 
will be in Alberta, Shoan, or Manitoba. And uh, I will move um, a couple of months before the election. That's a decision that we took as a couple. So uh, I can tell you that is to run that are very low. I'm looking at the poll right now, and we have the 2019, the 2021. I'm looking at that, and we have a strong support in Canada. So I believe that it will be easier for me to win there, and that's why I will have to move there a couple of months before the election. Have you ever uh, thought of recruiting Cheryl Gallant? <laughs> I live in her riding, and um, I, and uh, yeah, you worked with her, didn't you, when you were a member of the of cabinet, right, or when you were a member of the Conservative Party of Canada? Yeah, actually, she's a great lady. I work with her, and I spoke with her uh, recently. Uh, she was. Uh, I'm, I know. I know that she's fighting right now. Uh, she wants to be sure that the Conservative Party will do a, a re-election, the leadership, and, and I hope will win her case. Great lady, and um, you know we were friends. Was uh, working with her in the Conservative Party of Canada when I was a minister under Stephen Harper, and um, I wish and I hope that she will win her case in from the court, uh, and I hope that they will uh, have another election Conservative Party. Yeah, I mean, I I've interviewed you. This is the third time I've interviewed you. You know, you know I like you. you you're you're very. You know, you speak well, you're very affable. You are unlike most of your supporters, including Cheryl Gallant, by the way. And I get her flyers. She's a little crazy. And you don't seem that way. And I'm just, and I can't figure it out. I can't figure out if you are really clever at hiding the fact that you're also like that, or if you're the way that I think you are and your policies just seem to attract people that are a little fucked up. No offense, but they, but there are a lot of people that, seem to wave a PPC flag who are trying weird therapies like drinking urine. And I'm not making this up. I've seen it and I'm not relating it to your party either, but there is something to be said about the PPC attracting these certain types of voters that are just completely off the map and sometimes out of their gourd. And I just don't understand how a leader that seems so normal to me attracts people by and large that are like that. And, and, and I'm including Cheryl Gallant in that, if you want to know the truth. She sends flyers all the time telling us that, like, um, that, that Justin Trudeau is giving money to terrorists and shit like that. And it's, and it's really outlandish and it's, and it's really dishonest. And I don't even like Justin Trudeau. So I, I don't know how you square the circle. Is it annoying to you that a lot of crazy people like your party? Like, like I, want a, I want a transparent kind of answer because I could show you the evidence, you know, like... First, first, I must say that I'm very proud of our supporters. I did a lot of rallies across the country. I was the only political leader at the last general election that did rallies, actually. And we had great people over there. But a, a tiny, tiny minority of some people are with us and maybe not for the right reason. And that's why it's important to uh, to control the policies of our party and, you know, that's that's important uh, we build this party on four principles and it won't change individual freedom personal responsibility respect and fairness and all our policies are in line with that so if we have crazy people that are anti-immigration they're not in the right part uh, we are mass immigration we are for sustainable immigration and we want to have a, a debate on immigration in canada but these people, uh, if they think that we will change our policy to please them, no, we won't. The, 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 uh, the, the, our policy on immigration, for example, is based on our principle and, and they're not with us for the right reason. So it, it, it's so, so those are the kind of I'm going to I'm going to cut you off only because when people hear that, they think you're dodging it. And I know you're not. And, I, and they think you're dodging it because you're not being specific. So what you're saying is, is that your immigration policy of 150,000 immigrants between 100 and 150,000 uh, immigrants annually is not based on 
the race of the immigrant. They could all be from Ireland for all you cared. But what the, what it's based on is that you want to make sure that the immigrants that come here stimulate the economy and don't dr put a drain on it. And so I, I, so I'm one of those people, even though I have friends that think that you're racist because your immigration policy, I always stand up and say, if you read the policy, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like racism at all. It feels like you want to make sure that the people that come to Canada are people that can contribute. Um, your refugee policy, your refugee policy, a little harder case to make for me, but I still think I can make it that the reason that you, you believe that, um, that the refugee policy needs an overhaul is because you want to be able to give viable spots that they would probably be taking to, to immigrants. Um, and then you get to the, 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 the whole thing about bringing over families and stuff. Um, that is more of a humanitarian thing. I don't think that disagreeing with that does makes you a racist or anything like that but we have a very polarized country um and and it's funny because i feel like sometimes the communications that come out of your party don't take that into consideration enough because people are going to label you as this or that because of your policies if you don't communicate it in a way that spells it out for them but but that's why I said, you know, we are doing politics differently. And I try to appeal to your intelligence. You know, I don't try to please you and, and play your emotion. We have strong policies based on facts on our website. And, uh, you know, my the way that I'm doing politics, I want you to understand our policies. And the more I speak about it, the more people understand. And our policy on immigration, it's, an, it's, it's, an, it's a good example. Um, but when you read it, you know that actually right now, if you look at the data, we'll have 400,000 immigrants this, uh, this year. That's the goal. But 76% of them are not skilled immigrants, a person that will come here and help to build our economy. They're, the majority of them are refugees and reunification of family. So we just want to change the ratio, having fewer immigrants and the majority of them, 60, 70 percent of them must be skilled immigrants to that will come here because they will have a job that will be easier for them to integrate our society. We need to have that debate. Actually, we had that debate in Quebec at the provincial level. And I believe that every province must be able to decide their immigration policy, like in Quebec right now. Why Quebec is able to decide the number of immigrants and, and, and they have more latitude on the immigration policy. It must be the same for every province. Let's have that discussion here in Canada. Actually, when uh, the Premier of Quebec, Mr. Legault, said at the last general election that he want 20% fewer immigrants, nobody said that, was a, you know, and he, he had the debate. I'm saying I want a maximum of 150,000 a year to go back to where we had to go. And the big majority of them must be skilled immigrants. And we must have the real refugees, not the the the, the border at the Roxanne Road in Quebec with a Gucci and and a big uh, suitcase. We need refugees where their life is in danger in a camp somewhere uh, in in a country. So let, let's let's have a discussion. And uh, and that's you know that's our platform. Maybe a big subject at the next general election. That was not just one. It was mostly about COVID-19, but it may come back and we'll see. But it is always part of our platform and, uh, and our policies. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Are you, um, I'm going to switch gears again. Um, actually, before I switch gears, you recently lost your lawsuit against Kinsella. Uh, you were suing Kinsella um, because he had labeled you a racist and I think an anti-Semite or a Nazi. Um before yeah. the was it the 2019 election and um 
the, the, the thing about that case that I found really, really interesting is that it was such a steep hill to climb because a lot of it was done online. And if you look at Twitter and Facebook, it's a cesspool often and nobody's being really held responsible. But what I found interesting was the judge's statement when I can't, was it a she? I don't remember. Um, but, and I'm going to paraphrase because she said something like, it was, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying a lot of things during that election and it's hard to blame Kinsella for that. Fair enough. But then she mentioned your policies themselves, but didn't go into detail. What did she mean? Yeah. First of all, why we didn't win. Uh, the judge said that uh, our speech, because that was what Kinsella was arguing. He said, you know, I'm free. I have, I can speak. I can say what I, what I want. And the judge said, Bernier is a politician you have for uh, freedom to say the election. And actually, I don't agree with that decision. I'm looking with my uh, lawyers right now if I will appeal or not. We have to tell you next week. Uh, I'll appeal that decision. Uh, we have uh, my lawyer out telling me that we have a solid ground for an appeal. Uh, I just have to read the documents that they gave me. I'll take my. But uh, actually, uh, and as you said, a lot of that social media also so, so that had the decision uh, from from the judge uh, but we'll see uh, i'm not happy with that decision and i'm looking at my options and one of them is to appeal that so i will have to take a decision uh, before the end of next week it was that a tough pill to swallow that uh, kinsella's lawyers were arguing probably your favorite thing in the world which is free speech <laughs> Yeah, but that was their defense, and um, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, that was their argument, and they won that case. So, so and I believe that I can appeal that. Uh, so, we'll okay. So we have. Um, I've been talking about our country being polarized for a long time. You've been talking about doing politics differently for a long time. Um, do you see a way? Because. When, when people were telling me at the beginning of last of the last election cycle, like the, the four weeks or whatever of campaigning, six weeks, I think, um, there were people that were telling me that the only people that are going to be voting for the PPC party are rabid right-wingers and libertarians. But more and more, people that I know personally, not just friends online, but people that I know personally and have known for years, they were voting for you. And they are mostly liberal and NDP voters. And the reason why they were voting for you is because of free one of two issues, because of free speech and because of this idea that if you weren't going to take the vaccine, then you were basically kind of subhuman because there was a point in time. There was a there was a good few months where that kind of language directed at the unvaccinated was too much for me to handle, you know, and I'm I'm double vaccinated. I wear my mask in stores because they asked me to. I don't feel like my liberty is being traded for it. I just do it because I don't want to argue. But, you know, I also don't feel like there's this nefarious plan worldwide to turn us all into brown shirts. But I'm um, not saying you do, but a lot of people that support you do. But but I noticed, though, that there were the, the people that weren't being talked about were the progressives that were voting for you. And so I guess my question is, how are we able to traverse these political landscapes in a way that fosters unity? about left and right anymore. I believe it's about more government intervention in the in your day-to-day -day life or less government intervention. Uh, that's why we had support from the left. They said, no, uh, I want to live my, my life. If I don't want to take that vaccine choice, a real choice. Now we have a, not a real choice uh, because if you don't, you know, you won't be able, like I said, to be fully participate so so i believe that we had people like that because that's the debate of today uh, and also the other debate it's about you know more uh, sovereignty for our country or less sovereignty for our country you know i believe that canada is a sovereign country and we must be able to decide what we want to do and and that has always uh, uh, take the 
Latin or other international organization uh, like uh, like the Paris Accord. Uh, I'm saying no to that. Like immigration, you know, borders at the UN. They want every country to open their borders for everybody. And so we must be able to do our our, our prayer in Canada, our policy in Canada. And that I think that's a new debate right now. Uh, more government in your life, a bigger government that will tell you what to do. We are, that's the, and spend big money that we don't have, uh, borrow money for that, and or, or less government, and a government that will respect the Constitution. All government uh, will respect the Constitution. We will have a smaller government, and we won't have also the Haitian in Western Canada that are very, very not happy with this country and they and they have a case because the federal government uh, does not respect the concern so i think that's not left and right and that's why i can tell you it's a, uh, the the guy that was in charge of our edas and writing association and organization there was a former ndp that under ndp for all his life he told me that was because of the freedom because it's enough and you are the only one and because also we we need to be able in canada to have a society that will and we didn't have that in anymore is there is there something to be said also then for an ambidextrous platform um so in, if if we're all canadians and there is no left and right but we can still tell if an idea comes from left of center or right of center. So how likely is it that the PPC might have a few ideas that also venture left of center? Uh, first, if you look at our platform, uh, we for more uh, individual freedom and personal responsibility. It's going together and less government intervention. So. I care about, uh, you know, healthcare. Uh, our policy of healthcare is very safe, I believe, because we will give all the, and all the, the resources to develop and fix the healthcare in their province. You know, it exists right now, and the federal government doesn't have the solution. That provincial government have the solution, and our proposal on that is to give them the, all the revenues and income coming from the GST. They will be able to tax for their own responsibility. So I think it's in line with the Constitution, but also it's very cross provinces will have more money to decide if they want to invest and give better services for healthcare or if they want to have more. So we need like that in our society, and we are the only one that is that. So we 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 opening new debates in our society and hope be able to uh, to have this debate at because you're going to need that support right you 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 can't your party can't survive just appealing to that sort of um right far right like you know segment of our society you're going to be you're going to need to be able to snag progressives and and moderates and all that kind of stuff the problem is is that um lots of progressives and lots of sort of you know staunch conservatives or libertarians they don't like each other so it's a monumental task um and if you look at what's happening with the conservative party right now as soon as um aaron o'toole pivoted to the center just before last election he lost a lot of support and a lot of that support went to your party. I'm, I don't know how, again, squaring a circle like that in these political times, I don't know how you do it. And, and I'm, and I'm just what? wondering if you have a plan because a lot of people are saying that you've become like the French Preston Manning. <laughs> Actually, I just made that up. I just, <laughs> <laughs> so first, uh, if you look at Preston Manning, the reform party, First of all, if you look at our platform, I believe that that is like from blue book, the little blue book that they had. And every friend Preston wanted a smaller government in Ottawa that will respect 
and we are all going the same. We have the same platform on that. So for us also, what is encouraging is we have a lot of support from people. And, and, and that's if we want our party to have the support of young people. And if you look at the public uh, polls, uh, a lot of them are supporting our party. So that's, you know, for the unity of our party, look at the, the the last leadership review that we did and i was very happy with that huge support 95 percent so people are happy and the way to unite everybody it's under our principles in politics differently so that's why we have libertarian that are with us we have that are with us we have real um, liberals uh, that are with us, that believe in a liberal society and classical liberal. Uh, so, so we are able to unite all these people, and that's why we were able to grow from uh, uh, 300,000 support voters that voted for us in 2019 to 840,000 people that voted for us at the last election. For the next one is for me to be elected with a couple of candidates and to grow from 5% to maybe 8 9%. Now, now we look at, we are at around 10% right now. So it's going well out there. And that's why I appreciate the opportunity that you're giving me to explain our platform and speak with you. And I will do that. I will take all the opportunity I have to speak about our platform and explain our, our, the position of our party on different issues. Okay. Well, listen, for the rest of this interview, how about you don't have to say you're doing politics differently? <laughs> okay, we know that now, <laughs> but because I know it's a good tagline. Um, what is your relationship like now with Randy Hillier? Because at first it seemed like you guys had, because you guys have a similar bio. You guys were sort of pushed out of your parties, you know, um, and then, you, you know, there was, a, there was an attack machine against both of you. And then you both were sort of on this rally trail and then something happened. And I'm wondering, because a lot of people were thinking that that Randy would end up becoming um, a federal candidate for your party, but it, it didn't go that way. So was there a falling out there? I'm not looking for tabloid. I'm just curious because it seemed like you were really close one day and then not so much the next. Oh, no, we are. Actually, I will uh, do a, another rally with him, I believe, the 17th of December in Toronto. Hmm. In fact, um, by plane. If not, I'll go by and no, you know, rally helped us a lot during the last campaign. Uh, Randy, sorry, uh, helped us a lot during the last campaign. And, uh, you know, he was uh, doing some rallies with me, and not only in Ontario, but also in Alberta. And, uh, he started a new party, uh, an Ontario first party. And, um, you know, personally, I said uh, I'm giving him uh, our support. And also, uh, but it's a different party. There's no link uh, with see. Uh, they're using uh, the same color, the purple, and also they have the same philosophy. Uh, and I'm very pleased with that. And so uh, I'm, su I'm supporting his new party, but that's very uh, at the provincial level. But we won't uh, interfere in provincial jurisdiction. Uh, I don't have any policy that I want him to implement on platform and his own uh, policies. And so that uh, it's the, the party at the financial level that is us and share the same principles and uh, ending the lockdowns, more freedom, for for example. Uh, I hope that uh, at the next, I'll tell you that would be next June. I hope that COVID hysteria won't be the subject. It would be, and I believe that Randy and his team will have other policies on other subjects also. They, they are building, I'm, I'm supporting him and uh, we have a good relationship. Um, we, marijuana is legal. Um, before it was illegal, there were nine different types of charges that we, you could be charged with when it came to possession of marijuana. And ever since legalization, there are now 43 different charges that you could be facing for possession of marijuana. I just happen to have a little bit of marijuana here because I grew my own. Um, and th this would have gotten me, I don't know how many months in prison back in the day. It's about a quarter pound of some pretty dope ass weed. Um, 
What are your thoughts on other drugs? First of all, what are your thoughts on the fact that there are now 34 new types of charges that you can receive for possession under the legalization? And what are your thoughts on legalizing things like mushrooms or psilocybin for therapeutic uses in, in you know, soldiers and, and people with bipolar disorder and things like that? Yeah, we don't have any position on that. We won't try to change that. That's not a priority for so many different issues in our country. That So uh, I, I believe that the status quo is okay. So uh, on all these other drugs and uh, in our position on the legalization, uh, we will uh, not and we won't uh, come back. But I didn't know that. You just uh, tell me that there's their new um, uh, you What you just said, 37? Uh, yeah, so, so because it's legal now, now if you possess marijuana and you're within like 100 feet of a schoolyard, there's all these charges for that. Or if you happen to be smoking a joint in public, there's like there, there's charges for that. That used to be just all considered like, uh, you know, drug possession. And now it's like, drug possession and public consumption of marijuana and there's all these little tributaries and all these little extra charges added to all these things you can grow four plants but you can't grow five you know no i didn't i, I didn't know all the details and uh, but on the important the principle we we are for and we want and and maybe we'll we'll take a look at our little uh, regulations that they're imposing to people to me, that's not the priority of the PPC. Okay. Um, do you get? Do you smoke weed? You don't smoke weed, right? You don't strike me as a weed. No, smoker. I don't. When was the last time you got high? <laughs> I don't. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, um, I try it. I try it when I was eighteen or nineteen years old. I I, I try it a couple of times, but um, no, yeah. I don't. That. We're not going to see any pictures floating around the internet of a long-haired Maxime Bernier. On the beach, getting high. No, no. no? Uh, I was. It was illegal at that time, and, and uh, with some friends. And there's no photo. There's nothing about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you have two teenage daughters, correct? Yeah, nineteen and, and twenty-two. Nineteen and twenty-two. Um, I just thought of this question now because I have a daughter, but she's only five. Um. And when your daughters were, I guess, in one in high school and one in college, the Me Too movement came out, and it was it was a pretty powerful movement at the time. I personally think that it was it was a good cultural shift in the right direction, and it made uh, you know some men um, held to account. And I also thought that there was um, a dark side to it. Um, that I didn't think had to be there in order for the good side to exist. And that dark side being that due process seemed to be um, done away with. And I was wondering if you ever had at the kitchen table discussions with your daughters about that movement. And if there were any, you know, if, if, there, if it was a spirited debate or if you sort of share the, the same sort of feelings that I have about it, which, which that there, there was a, a negative ancillary impact, but the movement itself was overall good. I think it's uh, a time when you have a change in the society, you know, for good. Uh, you know, sometimes there's a bad thing that can happen, and you're right, you know, the principle of a fair press uh, that with the media and everything, it, it's it's it was a little bit slow sometime, but that's the society, and I believe that the, like, the majority of that kind of a, a new new society right now it was very good and um, and yes we had a discussion around the ball about things like that what happened in our society and, and my were very uh, very that at that time and uh, because it was all you know artists people and stars and so it was all over the news um, and uh, and important for them and they were not so happy about that and they they won't have have that you now you know i believe that you know they will be able to uh, express their point without any fears and that's the most important okay we have about six minutes left 
So I'm going to talk about two topics in those six minutes, abortion and religion. Okay. <laughs> so let's get going. Um, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Uh, so it, it depends on pro-life and pro-choice. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. What I believe in, I, I believe that, you know, um, late term abortion must be not permitted in our society and against late term abortion. So that's and I'm a sex selection abortion. So that's very clear. And also I'm for a debate in the house. That, so that's why the People's Party of Canada <laughs> doesn't have a position on abortion because it's a question of conscience and every, every member of parliament must have a different point of view. And maybe some member of parliament will want to do more consultation with their, their people in their right. I didn't see a free vote for everybody in the house. And everybody must be able to vote in their uh, philosophy or conscience. And the national uh, party that is uh, is okay with that to reopen express that you know reopen the debate on abortion and uh, let's have that debate it's uh, you know uh, there's no that debate is not settled like the debate on the climate change it is not settled and people must have the right to uh, bring that debate so for me personally i will vote in favor of a legislation uh, late-term abortion, I will vote in favor of a legislation that will stop a sex selection. Okay. Um, do you think that um, by passing legislation like that, because I used to think that I was pro-choice, and then my, my, my kids were born, and my thought process led me to, okay, I think I'm still pro-choice, and for one main reason. How do you enforce it? Do you enforce it by um, punishing doctors who perform the abortions or forcing women to give birth? Like, how do you enforce something like that? Well, you know, how do you enforce some legislation? It's always difficult that will complain and, uh, uh, you know, we as a society, you know, we don't have any regulations. And I know that other to enforce it. Uh, you know, we are one of the only country uh, with uh, North Korea and Cuba that uh, uh, doesn't on abortion. Uh, let's they have a legislation in our countries like France, like huge other country. But uh, our politicians didn't have to table a law and try to have a legislation on that. So they are able to do that in other countries, able to do it also in Canada. Uh, and finally, um, religion. So you don't strike me as a religion person. You'll probably say you're Christian, but I'm betting that you probably don't think about God that much. And I'm fine with that because I'm a militant atheist. But um, a lot of your supporters are are pretty Jesus-fearing people. Um, is it a tough tight wire to walk to appeal to people who have this devout belief in God and yourself who may not be that devout? Uh, you know, I I'm a Christian, yes. Uh, do I practice my religion? No. A couple of times in the year, at Christmas time and Eastern. So that's me. I won't change. But I respect them and they respect me. And so they will come in our party. And that's the foundation of opinions. And, uh, and they like our platform. So for me, I have a newborn Christians to, and I'm not paying to any uh, Canadians. So they, who, who I am as a politician, and they know that I will let people debate in the house. They know that I want, uh, if we uh, are in government today, uh, have more free vote under uh, and the goal and the first job will be to vote in favor of our platform and it's there and you know that's why i will say that for we're doing politics differently because our platform at every election is the same one we run on the, run on the same platform in 20 
part of 2019, and that would be the, one, the same one in 20, I don't know, 24th or 2025th. That would be the same platform. That's why we're doing principle and conviction, and we believe that we have the best ideas, and the more we speak about it, more support we will have. So that's why we're done looking at the polls and try to please people. And I'm very happy that we have that are supporting us, that we have people who believe in the sovereignty of our country. That are supporting. And so uh, that's why I believe we we are able to unite all these people under the PPC. Uh, freedom, freedom unites us. Uh, one last question, actually. Um, would you and I both agree, and this is a two-parter, and then I'll let you go. Um, would you and I both agree? Because I, I, I believe that female genital mutilation or female circumcision under um, largely the Islamic religion, I think is wrong. I think it's barbaric, and I don't think it should be done. You probably agree with that. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Now, I don't see any difference between that and Catholic and Jewish male circumcision. Do you? But that's your first decision, uh, you know. Uh, if, if they're doing that, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a tough I'm one. Not, and actually, I don't think it's a personal uh, decision of the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, no, but the parents, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, if that, I think that the men can always uh, being able to to. Uh, Make and, uh, and having an and but if you do the same thing with a, with a woman, uh, the orgasm will be uh, different. You know, if they don't have any any clitoris, it, it, they won't they won't have the same orgasm. That uh, so so I think it's it's different. And um, but uh, the parents must be able to decide. And uh, and uh, you know it's. Uh, it's a tough. It's it, 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 it's uh, in our society. I believe that uh, what they're doing uh, for the woman, uh, I, I I don't agree with that. I think it's barbaric, like you said. Okay, I just want my foreskin back, really, Maxine. That's all I'm really saying. Um, <laughs> but listen, uh, I thought it was a good interview. Thank you for coming. I'll probably ask you to come back, and um, if I don't speak to you, I'll have a happy holiday. Okay. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. No problem. That was Maxime Bernier. Um, I always like talking to him, and um, I hope I hope he feels the same way. I know I'm going to get shit on on both sides um, for asking him questions about religion and for and for not asking him questions more hardcore about uh, uh, race and things like that. But I don't think that's what journalism is for. I'm not I'm not an activist. Um, I'm going to have Noam Chomsky on tomorrow the the vibe of the interview sorry on thursday the vibe of the interview is going to be largely the same i don't think i'm going to be able to get noam chomsky to say clitoris but um it's still going to be a dope interview i hope you enjoyed it and uh we'll see you on thursday thanks everybody everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.